Hey, uh, I want to welcome all of you over in the, the venue, and I know the worship over there was, was great, and your time of fellowship and all that was sweet, and welcome to all of you that are watching online, and we know we have hundreds of you out there that are watching right now, and maybe you're listening on the radio. Uh, we're just glad you're with us. Um, if you have a Bible, you can turn to Genesis uh, chapter 4, Genesis chapter 4. If you don't have a Bible, all of the verses, or most of them, will be inside your program, or they'll come up on the jumbotrons. We want you to see the Word of God for yourself. Um, we know, I understand that this is a generation uh, where some of you have never seen a Bible, you've never held a Bible, you don't own a Bible. And uh, we want you to know that afterwards in the altar room here, or the altar room over in the venue, if you'd like uh, a, a copy of the Word of God, we'd be more than uh, happy to give you one. It's one of the things that we, we love to do is hand out God's Word. And so if you don't have a copy of the Bible, you don't own your own uh, uh, Bible, just go into the altar room afterwards and we'd love to give you one. Uh, my generation, an older generation, um, we all had a Bible in our home. Now, now we didn't live by it. We weren't a religious family. We didn't go to church or anything like that, but we had a Bible, <laughs> and it was a big one. And I, I didn't know anything about it. I didn't believe it or whatever. I just knew, you know, whenever I got around it, I just knew there was something about it that I just it was kind of freaky and scary. I knew there was something about it, you know. Uh, but we had a Bible. This is a generation today that they, they some in some cases, have never even seen a Bible. And so if you don't have one, please go and, and, and pick one up, and um, it's our, our gift to, to you. Last week, we started a, a new series here at Big Valley Grace called uh, People and Passages, where each weekend I'm selecting a person or persons uh, that are found in the, the Bible that I believe that every Christian should know about. Last week, we looked at, at Adam and Eve, and then we're also looking at some important passage in the Bible or, or verse in the Bible that I think that every Christian should know and understand. Last week we looked at Genesis 1-1. In fact, it was our memory verse uh, for last week, and it was kind of an easy one. This week's going to be a little tougher, but I, I'd like for us to say our, our memory verse out loud uh, together. Hey, 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 take that off the screen. Take that one off there for now. There you go. <laughs> See? Some of you are going, whoo. Whew. All right, we'll come back to it in a minute. Uh, remember that for next hour. Anyway, here we go, here we go. Genesis 1-1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Wow, that was, that was a little weak. Yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna give you another shot at that one, okay? Here, here we go, Genesis 1-1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. All right, put it back up there. Let, let, let me tell you a little bit about that, that verse right there, Genesis 1-1. Um, those first four words, really, in the beginning, God, are the most important words you're going to find in all of the Scripture. I have built my entire uh, life, basically, on those first four words. You can take all ten of them and build your worldview on them, but really, it's just those first four words. That in the beginning, God. And if you can't get past those first four words right there, then nothing else in the scriptures are really going to matter. And for me, for this church, if you're visiting with us, that right there is the foundation 
to this church. We believe that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God's the one who did it all. And one of the beautiful things about science is science is just simply a, a discipline that uh, uh, discovers all the beautiful things that God has created. I'm not afraid of science. I love science. But science is simply something that discovers all the great things that God has uh, created. Now, before I read our, our, our text for today, let, let, let me quickly set it up, okay? In Genesis chapter 2, it tells us about Adam and Eve, the, the very first human beings on planet Earth. It tells us that God made Adam from the dust of the ground, and then he breathed into him the, the breath of life. And it was at that moment that Adam became the first living, breathing human being. And then the Bible tells us that God took a, a rib from Adam's side, and he made Eve, and they became the first married couple. Talked about this last week. And let me just say this again, since it generated a lot of emails and phone calls and texting and all that kind of stuff. Genesis chapters 1... Two, three, four, is not mythological. I believe it's exactly the way it happened. Okay? I don't think it's a, it was mythological. I, I believe that what we read in Genesis 1, 2, 3, 4, and following is exactly the way it all happened. And God filled our brother Moses uh, with the Holy Spirit, and Moses then penned the very words that are penned in Genesis so that we would understand it. We would understand the origins of, of human life and all that, okay? Then when you get to Genesis chapter 3, we read about Adam and Eve's sin. They chose not to uh, follow God's command, and they ate from the tree that God told them not to eat from. Romans chapter 5 says, when Adam sinned, sin entered into the world. Understanding Genesis 1, 2, and 3 is absolutely critical. I told you last week, and I've said this a thousand times here at Big Valley Grace, you don't understand Genesis 1, 2, and 3, then the rest of the Bible really isn't going to make a whole lot of sense. You have to understand the beginning. You have to understand what God originally intended, and then you need to understand what took place in Genesis 3 and how everything got messed up when Adam and Eve made the decision to blow off God's sin, then entered into the world in Genesis 3. Okay? Uh, when you get to Genesis chapter 4, which is what we're going to look at, at today, Adam and Eve now have been uh, uh, banished from the Garden of Eden because of their sin, and it says this in verse 1, okay? Genesis chapter 4, verse 1. Now Adam had sexual relations with his wife Eve, and she became pregnant. When she gave birth to Cain, she said, with the Lord's help, I have produced a man, Later, she gave birth to his brother and named him Abel. When they grew up, Abel became a shepherd while Cain cultivated the ground. He became a farmer. When it was time for the harvest, Cain presented some of his crops as a gift to the Lord. Abel also brought a gift, the best of the firstborn lambs from his flock. The Lord accepted Abel and his gift, but he did not accept Cain and his gift. This made Cain very angry, and he looked dejected. Why are you so angry, the Lord asked Cain. Why do you look so dejected? You will be accepted if you do what is right, but if you refuse to do what is right, then watch out. 
Sin is crouching at the door, eager to control you. But you must subdue it and be its master. One day Cain suggested to his brother, hey, let's go out into the fields. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother, Abel, and he killed him. And we'll stop there for now. Now here's what I want to do. I just want to make a, a, a couple of comments about Cain, then I'm going to make one quick comment about Abel, and then we'll look at our, our passage for the day. And my goal in this isn't to somehow extrapolate out everything there is to learn about Cain or Abel or Adam and Eve or whoever some of these characters are we're going to look at uh, if God doesn't come back. Uh, what I'm hoping is, is that we as a church family would just... Um, we'd have a, a, an understanding of some of these important characters that we find in Scripture. And, and so some of these comments that I'm going to make, they're, they're not profound, and it's not a comprehensive list of everything that I could have said about them, but they are things that I at least wanted to bring up to us. And the first one is this, is that Cain was the very first person ever born of a woman. Remember... Adam was made by God from the dust of the ground, and Eve was made from a, a rib taken from Adam's side. Cain was the first person to ever be born the old-fashioned way. Okay, his mother gave birth to him. In other words, Cain was the first child. And it's important, I think, to know that. God formed, you know, Adam from the dust of the ground and then breathes into his nostrils, right, the breath of life. And then God takes a rib from Adam's side and creates Eve, the woman. And now we have the very first person ever to, you know, come through the birthing canal and, I don't know, have the big cone uh, when it was all said and done. I don't know why that happens, but there's always that big cone. Or I could have said this, this will make everybody happy, he was the first person to look like a lizard. <laughs> Just kidding. Anyway, um, that's what babies all look like to me, I don't know. And I take no offense, I thought my own kids looked like lizards. I thought, man, really? That's it? Is this thing gonna change? Is something gonna happen? Is it gonna be a reptilii its whole life, you know? That'll give me some emails. Anyway, um, <laughs> I want you to think about this. The, the fact that Cain was the first person ever born of a woman makes him the world's first, second generation. Cain begins the second generation. Adam and Eve were the first, and now we have Cain and Abel. And by the way, they had other children, but uh, we're just focusing in on, on Cain and Abel. N number two... Cain was the very first person to ever commit murder. And this is probably what he's best known for. He killed his own brother. <laughs> he was the, the world's first murderer. So we see sin enter the world in Genesis chapter 3 when Adam and Eve disobeyed God. And now we see the fruit of sin playing itself out in a very real way. The, the taking of an innocent life. Sin has now impacted the, the second generation in a horrible way. And sin will impact the third generation in a horrible way. Sin will impact the fourth generation in a horrible way. Sin will impact the fifth generation in a horrible way. Next week, if God doesn't come back, we're going to get to the ninth generation and sin is so ugly by the time you get to the ninth generation that God is just bummed out that he's even made human life. 
and he's going to destroy most of it through a flood. And we're going to look at uh, the life of, of Noah next week, Lord willing. But here we are all these generations later, right, 2015? <laughs> and sin has impacted your generation, hasn't it? In horrible ways. Horrible ways. Boy, you get to Genesis chapter 3 and you see sin entering the world. And it's an ugly thing. It was ugly right out of the gate. And it's still ugly all these years uh, later. Now let me unpack this for you, okay? Let me, let me help you understand, if I can, why Cain murdered his, his brother, okay? Uh, Cain was a, was a farmer, and Abel was a, a shepherd. And one day they each brought a special gift to the Lord and an offering to the Lord. Cain brought some of the stuff that, you know, he, he had grown as a farmer, and Abel brought some of the best of the animals that he was shepherding. Now, it's not recorded anywhere up until this point in the Bible that God wanted or required them to worship him with a gift or an offering or whatever. So why were they doing this? Well, we really don't know. But I think it's safe to say that God must have told them, though it's not recorded yet in the Bible. I think at some moment, God must have showed up to Adam and Eve and and Cain and Abel, and, and, and said, hey, listen, here, here's what I want. I, I, I want you to honor me or worship me, uh, love me in this way. I, I want you to bring a gift to me. I want you to honor me with a gift. Now, it's not recorded up to that point yet. We're going to see it later. But there had to be a reason why Cain decided, I'm going to bring you know, some of my grain or fruit up to the Lord or and, and Abel said, I'm going to bring my best up to the Lord. Okay? So Cain and Abel brought these, these gifts to the Lord. But the Bible says that God accepted Abel's sheep, but God didn't accept Cain's grain or whatever it was that he brought. And, and that made Cain really angry. But why did God accept one gift and not the other? Well, Hebrews chapter 11 gives us a really great thought. It says this in verse 4, it was by faith that Abel brought a more acceptable offering to God than Cain did. Abel's offering gave evidence that he was a righteous man. And God showed his approval of his gift. Although Abel is long dead, he still speaks to us by his example of faith. Beloved, the reason God accepted Abel's offering, not Cain's, had to do with their hearts. Abel had an obedient heart. He was a, a man that really wanted to please the Lord. Cain, on the other hand, was simply given an offering because he had to. And, and God could see that. It was by faith that, that Abel said, man, I, I, under, I understand that I, my, my mommy and daddy were created by you. I mean, Mom and dad had told these boys, I'm sure, the story. <laughs> and so Abel, you know, and, and Cain had heard from the Lord about bringing an offering. And it was Abel who had this unbelievable belief, faith in God. And he says, you know, I'm going to bring God the best sheep I got. And he's, you know, going through all of his sheep, throwing out the one with the bad eye or the, you know, the limp or whatever. And he finally finds, you know, the best. 
Because God's worthy of the best. And he brings that. Cana, on the other hand, you know, is cutting some wheat or corn and yeah, here you go. It was just a just some stuff. Wasn't the best. It was just stuff. The scripture tells us that Abel brought his best sheep. That tells you something about him. Well, King simply brought, you know, some of his crop, which also tells you something about his heart. And, and look, what's in your heart matters to God. It matters. What, when that little green basket went by, and I, maybe you come from another church and they use a plate or you walk forward or there's a bucket in the back. I don't, I don't care how you do it in, in a church. The method, uh, you know, isn't what's so important. It's, it's what you do that matters. And, and it's this. Whether you walk back to a bucket in the back or you walk to the front or it's a plate or it's a basket, I don't care what it is. Or you, you do it online now. What's in here matters at that moment. God cares about this. Cares about your heart. Cares about the attitude in which you, in which you give it. The Bible says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. You must each decide in your heart how much to give. And don't give reluctantly or, or in response to pressure. Maybe you could add in there like Cain. For God loves a person who gives cheerfully. He loves it when, when, when a person, a follower of his, understands who they are in relationship to God. He loves it when, when a person understands that because of sin they were doomed, they were dead men walking, that there was nothing that they could do to to cleanse themselves of their sin, that they recognize that because of their sin, they were headed for a Christless eternity, you know, headed for a place that was designed for the devil and the demons. And they understand that God so loved them that he sent his son to live this perfect life for them and die a horrific death for them and walk out of a grave offering life to them. And it's through a relationship with Jesus Christ that our sins are forgiven. And you get it. And when you get it, you go, wow, here, here you go. It's no big deal. That's why God, in his word, says that he loves a person who gives cheerfully. It's obvious that God wants his people to be generous and to bring an offering to him, but he wants it to be done with a, with a grateful heart. Proverbs chapter three says, honor the Lord with your wealth. Honor him, worship him, love him with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. That's what God's word says. And I guess in a modern day context, you know, at our home, I don't, I don't, you know, I don't pay the bills. I don't handle any of the money. My, my wife does all that. She's way, way smarter and, and all that stuff than I am, you know. She just gives me an allowance. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not kidding. Um, thank you. And then I, then I walk out the door, you know, and if I want something big, I got I to gotta save it. So, so kids, don't ever think the allowance is stopped. Because they, 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 they don't. Um, 
But we got out this pile of bills, you know, and there's the MID, and there's the PG&E, and there's AT&T, and, and there's all the, the bills, and there they all are. And there's two ways you can go about paying the bills. The first one is, to, okay, MID, you know, PG&E, AT&T, you know, and you pay off all the bills, and you finally go, okay, here's what I got left. And so, you know, here you go, God. You, you, you I'll, I'll make a determination on what I worship you with by whatever I got left over. And I would say that's probably how most believers kind of go about it. Or you could say, look, I realize I got all this stuff here, but that's all secondary to the gift I'm going to bring the Lord. Before I write any checks, before I do anything, God, here you go. Here's my gift. And then you start making your way down MID, PG&E, blah, blah, blah. And you may get to the end and go, man, we don't have anything to go out to the movies with or you know, buy a new tie with or you know, whatever. And so be it. So be it. See, God, God could have said to us, I want you to honor me with every single bit of your wealth. I want it all each month or each week. He didn't say that. He said, just, just honor me with the first part, which is always the best part. Just honor me. And then, and then maybe you got to trust me with the rest of it. Maybe you need to rearrange your, you know, your spending priorities. Because God wants the best. And, and here's the deal, Christian. I know all of us who name his name, we want to give God our best. I, I know that. But sometimes we can make decisions and we get all goofed up and our finances get all goofed up and we're in debt up to our eyeballs and it's hard. And, and one of the great ministries we have around here is um, uh, our Compass Ministries where you learn the biblical you know, truth, biblical principles about you know, how to manage your money and all that kind of stuff, and principles taken right from the word of God. And here at Big Valley Grace, a lot of people have gone from just overwhelming debt to applying God's principles, and, and it's really changed their life, changed their marriages, changed their businesses. And if you've never you know, gotten involved in one of our uh, classes, you ought to do that, and we run them every so often. I don't know if we've got one going on now, but you ought to, you ought to check them out. The Bible says this in Samuel, uh, 1 Samuel chapter 16, but the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the same things man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. That's what God's looking for. And it's, by the way, it's not that God doesn't see our outward appearance, he does but there's something that's far more weighty to him. And it's not the amount that you write on that check that matters most. It's what's going on in here that matters most. This is what God sees. This. I remember, uh, some of you will remember this, when we, uh, we had a campaign here a while back, a few years ago, where we needed to buy a building. We needed $1.5 million on one particular weekend. That was over and above what normally comes in. And, 
And uh, one day I stood up here, and if you know anything about me, you know, I, I got notes that kind of keep me on track, but you know what, I'll just go and say things, you know. 10% of them are probably of the Lord, you know. Uh, that's why I always pray, oh God, if I said something that was goofy or crazy, may you strike it from people's memories. But I got up here and I said, hey, here's a deal, folks. I want everybody to bring a gift on that weekend. I want everybody, everybody brings a gift. And I said, and here's the deal. You write a check and put a number on it. And if you look at that number and you go, mm, when I'm, mm, you can't smile, take the check, rip it up, write another one. Put another number on it, <clears throat> rip it up. Just keep putting a number down until you go, okay, I'm good with that. You got some joy, I'm, I'm fine. And all the checks came. All the coins came, <laughs> and if you weren't here, uh, it was an unbelievable, and we call it Miracle Weekend because we needed 1.5 million and we got 1.5 million, almost, almost to the nickel. And I just said, hey everybody, just put a number on there that you're happy with. This is over and above what you normally give. You're all generous people. And some have the ability to give more than others, you know. But I want everybody to bring a gift and put a number down, and if you can't have joy over it, Rip it up. I'm never going to know. But God's going to see it, and God wants to see joy when you write that check, you see. That's what God wanted to see. Uh, Kent Hughes, who was just a really great thinker, said this. When I write a check to the IRS, the IRS doesn't care whether I give willingly or grudgingly. <laughs> He goes on to say, not so with the Lord. God weighs our motivations. This truth is at the same time a terror and a comfort. Oh, and that's the truth. MID, PG&E, AT&T, IRS, all these companies with three letters. <laughs> um, I don't care what's in here. Just cut the check. But God does care about what's in here. He cares. He cares deeply about it. Beloved, God saw Cain and Abel's hearts when they brought their offering to him, and he sees your heart today. And the thing that God cares most about when we receive an offering is our attitudes. Uh, the great prophet Isaiah said this, or God said this through the great prophet Isaiah. These people say they are mine. They honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. And that might be a great way to describe Cain. Cain was somebody that, I don't know, looked right, said all the right things, but this was goofed up. This wasn't right. Uh, number three, Cain was the very first person to ever personally blow off God. And I didn't know how to word this, but I just thought this was really interesting. Uh, you know, the, our text says in verse six, uh, God says to him, hey, Cain, why are you so angry? Why do you look so dejected, Cain? You will be accepted if you do what is right, but if you refuse to do what is right, then watch out. Sin is crouching at the door, eager to control you, but you must subdue it, be its master. And to, to me, this is really powerful. God, God said this to Cain right before he goes out and kills his brother. Now, I want you to think about this. You know, you get to Genesis chapter two, and God tells uh, Adam, Adam, just stay away from that tree over there, right? And um, 
At some moment, in my opinion, he then tells Eve, hey, Eve, God told me we're not supposed to eat from that tree. Now Eve knows. And then there comes a moment when you get to Genesis 3, when the devil shows up, Satan shows up and deceives uh, uh, Eve and, and, and she eats the tree, uh, eats, from the, eats from the tree. I wonder what would have happened if, like, right before that would have taken place, if God would have showed up and said, hey, Adam and Eve, come here for a second. Hey, look, here's the deal. Uh, the devil's going to show up and he's going to do something really crummy. So you guys need to be very careful. Okay, I want you guys to really kind of keep your eyes open, <laughs> stay alert, be alert, because something crummy is going to happen. I think that might have made a difference. I, I, I don't know. I, I, I think. We don't really know, but here's the deal. God shows up to Cain and says, hey, Cain, be careful. Watch out. Sin's crouching at the door. Just, just subdue it, brother. Get this together. And Cain heard from the Lord. Hey, bro, let's go. Let's go out into the fields. Just blew him off. I mean, here you see this God of great grace trying to help this guy out. And then he turns away and, and, and just goes out and kills his brother. It blew him off. And I was thinking about this. And then I began to think, God's spoken to me. I have his word. And I, I want you to know, I was really all bowed out of shape over this with Cain. Man, what a, what a dirty, rotten scoundrel this guy is. Man, God shared with him his word. And he just walked out the door and blew him off. <laughs> you know, as I'm holding God's word, I was thinking to myself, uh, uh, yeah. See, God's been crystal clear with us too, hadn't he? And I can't speak for you. I can only speak for me. I can't tell you how many times, you know, that's eh, nice. <laughs> and I walk out the door and I just blow God off. Now the good news is I haven't murdered anybody yet. <laughs> Wanted to, huh, Sam? <laughs> wow. I want you to know something. I want you to look at that little phrase right there. Sin is crouching at the door. Let that sink in. Isn't that great imagery? God says to Cain, and he's saying it to us, hey, 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 sin is crouching at the door. And God wasn't saying, you know, hey, Cain, you know, when you leave your house or your apartment, you know, sin is, you know, hiding behind a bush or hiding, you know, behind a rock. What he was saying was this, Cain, sin that's in you is crouching at the door. You see, that's what we all have to come to grips with is that sin is in us. And it's crouching at the door. It's ready to spring. 
It's ready to disobey God. It's, it's right there. It's, it's inside of you. You don't have to leave here and get to your car and, you know, look under the, you know, motor, you know, thing, compartment or whatever to say, hey, man, where's sin at out there? It's in you. You take sin with you wherever you go. I have this um, little thing in my office, and it's fancy salted nut mix. And when my son was younger, it was the favorite thing in my office. He'd come down to my office just for this. And um, first time I gave it to him, he said, hey, Dad, you know, he's just a little kid. What's this? I said, well, it's it's nuts. Can't you hear the nuts in there? And he opens it. Whoa! (laughs) And I got a great kick out of freaking my kid out. Anyway, um, (laughs) well, he just thought that was the greatest thing. He'd come down to my office. He'd say, hey, Dad, Dad, Dad. Hey, Dad, I got some nuts for you. See, he didn't realize, hey, son, I, I, know, I know the gig. I, 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 know, I know how this all goes down. But he, he didn't know, you know. He, and so I'd go, what? And I'd go, oh! And he'd laugh, you know, or whatever. And I'd go, that's freaky, man. Don't do that to your dad. Man, I'm going to die, heart attack, whatever. Let me tell you why I have this in my office. It reminds me of those words that God spoke directly to Cain. Hey, Cain, sin is crouching at the door. It's just waiting. And this can is kind of my life, your life. And inside is sin. And it's just waiting. It's waiting for you to do something, think something, or whatever. And it just, and and, and here's the thing. You take your eyes off the Lord, and it's not like sin goes, Uh, I'm busy right now. I think I'll really get this guy in an hour or two. Let me tell you something. This is the way sin works. You get your eyes off the Lord. Boom! Just happens that quick. You're in a hurt. A world of hurt in a a heartbeat, aren't you? And here we got this great passage. Sin is crouching at the door, and and it's eager to control you. That's all it wants to do. And then God says, but you must subdue it and be its master. And how do we today in the 21st century, how do we subdue it? Well, let me give you a couple thoughts here. One is you, you got to spend time reading the word of God. When you, when you read the word of God, hey, do me a favor, buddy. Can you get that for me? I'm an old guy. When, when I started here, I used to be able to just jump down, jump up. No problem. In fact, I did it all the time. So I pulled a hammy and uh, <laughs> couldn't preach a second hour. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't do that anymore. <laughs> you see, one of the things that keeps the lid on, helps me subdue the sin that's crouching within me, is spending time in God's Word, just reading it. Unbelievably powerful just to read the Word of God. But you've got to go beyond reading the Word of God. There, there's, a, there's a time to study the Word of God, and that's different. And studying the Word of God, you know, the illustration is you've got to have a yellow pad of paper with you and a number two pencil kind of a thing. This is where you're going to read some things, study some things. Man, what does that mean? How does that work? Maybe you're going through a Bible study in men's ministries, women's ministries, whatever. There's, there's a little bit more work put in, if you will, when you study the Word of God. And then there's the idea of memorizing the Word. And that, that, that takes a whole nother 
you know, set of juice when you say, okay, I, I want to really memorize the, the, the word of God. I want to have it internalized. And then obviously you get to this idea of meditating on the word. Or you've studied it and you've memorized it. Now you say, God, I, I, I just, I just want to think about this, this passage, the implications of it. You see, you can read Genesis chapter 4 and read right past that incredible descriptive thought that sin is crouching at the door. And just read it. There's a, there's a moment to go, whoa, 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 whoa. What'd that say? Man, what, what is that? And then, oh God, how, how, oh Lord, help me keep the lid, the lid on it. God, help me. You, keep the, the lid on my spouse's life because sin is crouching at their door. And what about my children? Sin is crouching at their door too. What about my grandkids, you see? Sin is crouching at their door. What about, what about my best friend, you know? Sin is crouching at their door too, you see? We need each other to, to help keep the lid on sin that's just waiting, just, just waiting. It's like that lion that Peter talks about. Just, just, it's just waiting for the wildebeest. There you, get, there you go. Yeah, you don't see me, do you? No, you don't. Yeah, let me get a little bit closer. And then all of a sudden, boom! That tiger takes off. Lion takes off. Whew. And if you're Mr. Wildebeest, it's It's scary. Those are some of them praying, spending time with the Lord in, in prayer. Wow. Those are all important things that help subdue the sin that is within us. Now, let me make one quick comment about Abel, okay? And that's this. Abel was the first person to be persecuted for his faith. His brother was the first murderer, and Abel was the first martyr. Listen to what the Bible says in John, uh, 1 John uh, chapter 3. So the Bible says, so now we can tell who are children of God and who are children of the devil. Anyone who does not live righteously and does not love other believers does not belong to God. This is the message you have heard from the beginning. We should love one another. And then there's this interesting comment. We must not be like Cain who belonged to the evil one and killed his brother. And why did he kill him? Because Cain had been doing what was evil and his brother had been doing what was righteous. You see, we once again get a picture of these two brothers. One was evil. Cain represents evil. Cain represents somebody who was away from God, didn't believe, didn't know, had no faith in God even though he was the first child of the second generation. That's how powerful sin is. <laughs> and then you have Abel, and Abel did have a, a love for God. He honored God. You see it in his actions and things. Jesus, in Matthew 23, calls Abel a righteous man. In fact, did you know that Abel is just... Uh, one of a few guys in the Bible that nothing bad is said about him. Nothing. He's always referred to as this righteous man. 
Now, I'm going to take uh, just a couple of seconds, and we're going to look at our, um, our passage for the, the, the weekend, okay? And there's a tie-in to uh, our two people. Our passage for the weekend is 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. And it says this, God is speaking to us, and he's speaking to us collectively, speaking to the, the nation of Israel, if you will, but he's speaking to us collectively as believers, but you can't get away from the fact that he's also speaking to us as an individual. But there is this idea that, that it's more than just one. It's all of us. The Bible says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and, and heal their land. But one of the, the questions that I'm, I'm asked all the time is this, and, and, and that, that's this, d does God promise to answer my prayers? And the answer is no. God doesn't, you know, answer the, the prayers of everybody. God's not some genie, you know, and you rub his belly and he pops out and goes, okay, you know, what do you want? Here I am. I'll, I'll answer whatever prayer you have. That, that, that is not the picture that we get of the God revealed in the scriptures. Humility, seeking after God, turning away from evil and living Holy, these are all things that matter to God. They're things that matter to him before he'd ever answer our prayers. They, they, they might be what we would call conditions that God is looking for before he answers any prayer that you might pray or any prayer that you know, we might pray as a church family. He's also, if you come to me and you ask me to pray for you, I can pray all day long, but he's looking at you. Don't think you can circumvent the system by saying, hey, look, it, I ain't living humbly. I ain't seeking after him. And I'm not, you know, I'm not going to turn for my evil, but I'll get the pastor to pray, right? He's got the hotline right to God. No. God's, God's, God's pretty good at what he does. That, that doesn't work. Let me, let me just take a, a quick moment here and lay this out for you. I'll give you three things that matter to God, okay, when he's listening to your prayers. Number one, God wants you to, to live humbly. Remember, he, he can see into our hearts. He saw into the heart of Cain. He saw into the heart of Abel. He can see into our hearts. And, and, and he says, if my people who are called by not my name will humble themselves, humble themselves. Humility is important to God. God wants to know, do you understand who I am compared to who you are? <laughs> do you understand that I am the creator? I'm the one who gives you breath right now, who keeps your heart beating right now. Do you understand that? Are you living humbly before me? Or do you think kind of things just revolve around you? That you're the center of the universe kind of a thing? That, that man, God's got to be happy, you know, to have me on his side, you know. Man, when God got me, he got an ace, you know. Do you really understand 
who he is. Now, I love to, to talk about the love of God, that God loves us. There was a beautiful testimony last night from a gal who talked about the love of God. No one likes to talk about more than the love of God than me. I love it. Unbelievable. But there's also this idea that, that um, he's God. And that we're to have a, a reverential fear of him. And not a cowering fear like he's a loser ready to you know, punch our face you know, or angry or but he's God. And he wants to know, do, do you get it? Do you understand who you're coming to when you pray to me? Do you understand who I am, Cain, when you bring your gifts to me? He's bringing me, you know, the corn on the edges of the, uh, uh, you know, of the, the rows, the crummy stuff. You think I'm worthy of the crummy stuff, Cain? Is that what you think? Because if that's what you think, then you have no idea who I am. When we pray, God, God's looking at our hearts. He wants to know, are we living a humble life? Romans chapter 12 says, because of the privilege and authority God has given me, I, I give each of you this warning. Don't think you are better than you really are. Some of your Bibles say, don't you know, think more highly of yourself than you want to. We gotta be careful about how we think about ourselves. And it seems like we're, we're living in a time when narcissism is at a, you know, an apex. We're thrilled with ourselves. In fact, we now have this new thing out there called the uh, narcissistic stick. Have you seen it? You, it's a thing, it's a little stick and you put your cell phone on it so you can take selfies at a better distance. Because people really want to see your, your profile. See, th this wasn't good enough. Now we, now we put it on a stick because I got to get a better angle of myself. <laughs> Jesus told a, a great story in Luke chapter 18. He says, two men went to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other was a tax collector. The Pharisee stood up and prayed uh, about himself. God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, you know, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, even like that loser over there, that tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all, all I get. And I think that was true. I think this guy probably did fast a couple times a week, probably gave a tenth of all he got. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven and he beat his breast and he said, oh God, have mercy on me, I'm a sinner. Jesus said, I tell you, this man rather than the other went home justified before God for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled and he who humbles himself will be exalted. I think this was a real story. I think this probably happened a lot. Some think it was just a story. Either way, it's unbelievable to, to think about you see, God can see our hearts, and he wants to know, look, do, do you understand who I am? <laughs> do you understand what I've done for you? Do you understand that I humbled myself and went to a cross? Do you understand that? And you, as my people, are, are to live like that. You're to live humbly. 
Don't think more of yourself than, than you ought to think. Peter said, and all of you serve each other in humility, for God opposes the proud, but he favors the humble. So humble yourself under the mighty power of God, and at the right time, he'll lift you up to honor. I think we see that in Cain and Abel's life. God was opposed to Cain. He wasn't living humbly before God. But he, you know, gave out favor to Abel. Uh, n n number two, God wants you to seek him in all of you do. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face. Seek my face. That matters to God that you live humbly and that you seek him. That you're somebody who cares about his truth. That you're somebody who says, God, I, I may not know it all. I only came to know you last week, last month, last year, last decade. Uh, but God, I, I still long to know you. I still long to know what you have to, to say. The great prophet Isaiah recorded this in Isaiah 66. This is what the Lord says. Heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. Can you build me a temple as good as that? Could you build me such a resting place? My hands have made both heaven and earth. They are, uh, they and everything in them are mine. I, the Lord, have spoken and I will bless those who have a humble and contrite hearts and those who tremble at my word. It matters to God that when we together as a church family or we together as Christians or you as an individual, when you pray, when you go to God, that you're living humbly before him and that you're somebody who says, you know what, what's in this book matters. I'm seeking you, God, in all that I, all that I do. Proverbs chapter 28 says, God detests the prayers of a person who ignores the law. Did you read that? That's pretty weighty right there. He detests those who, who come to him. <laughs> they, they're going to him. Say, oh God, I need your help. Would you, I'm, I'm giving you my, my request. Now, I don't care what your word says. I don't care about any of that, man. I just, want, I just want the bennies that you can provide. No wonder he detests that, right? I'm an earthly father. I, I, love, the, I love it when my kids come to me and ask me for things. I do. I love it. Hey, Dad, man. Man, I'd love to go get a new video game. I love that. But let me tell you something. If my son didn't live in a humble way, hey, Dad, who are you? Dude, I'm in sixth grade, man. I don't know how it was when you, when you were a kid, but now I'm in sixth grade. Life's different now. I don't know who you think you are. Oh, and I know you want me to mow the lawn. Not going to do it. You want me to take out the trash? <laughs> you talking to me? Why don't you take out the trash? I'm not going to obey you. By the way, Dad, can I have a new video game? No. I love you. And we're going to have a little talk in your bedroom. <laughs> but you ain't getting the video game. Say. What makes you think God's any different? 
It matters. It matters what's in here, you see. And then last but not least, God wants you to stay away from sin. If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray, seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways. Psalms 66 says, if I had cherished sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. See, it matters to God how we're living. It matters to God when we go to prayer as a church family, as, a, as a Christians, you know, as a, an entire group or us as individuals, it matters how we're living. It obviously mattered to God as it relates to Cain and Abel. So this is what I, I want us to do, okay? Everybody over in the venue stand up, everybody in here stand up, and I want us to say this verse out loud. This is our homework assignment, if you will. We, we, we need to memorize this one. And so let's say it out, out loud together, okay? We can, can we put that up on the jumbotrons? Here we go. Second Chronicles 7:14. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Now, now look, I don't want anybody to go home and, you know, write this down and, and you know, put it on their mirrors or shaving or put it in their car and, and just get to the end and say, well, I got to memorize and you check off a box. I want you, as you memorize this, to, to really meditate on it. You see, you can memorize this and not live humbly. You can memorize this and not be seeking the Lord. You can memorize this and, and not be turning away from evil. And I want us, as a family of believers, to embrace this passage. I think it's, it's an important passage that all of us know and understand and live out in, in our lives. And so this week, enjoy mem memorizing it, but also say, God, help me to be this kind of person. Help me. Father, thank you, Lord, for today. And uh, really, really just enjoyed the music, enjoyed the testimonies of those that got baptized. Thank you for your word, God. Lord, help us to be people that somehow honor you with more than just our actions. And I do think our actions matter. But what matters more, God, is that we would have hearts that long to honor you. Thank you, Jesus, for your goodness and Give us a great afternoon, and I pray this in your name. And all of God's people said, amen. Hey, Lord bless you.